This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the global PR, content and business development specialist that builds a reputation and growth for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite a business leader with something to say into our kennel for a chat. We ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. In this episode of The Dog and Bone, we're going to explore a specific business challenge. How to run a geographic region or market within a bigger global organisation. In other words, how to be top dog in one part of the empire while keeping the overall global boss or board happy. To discuss this with me, I'm joined by Andrew Demetrio, Chief Executive Officer at creative agency VML YNR for the EMEA region. That's Europe, Middle East and Africa. The agency is part of the WPP marketing communications giant and clients include Ford, Boots, Colgate Palmolive and the Think anti-drink drive campaign. Also in the Dog and Bone studio today is Victoria, known to her friends as V, Pera Usher, who is Vice President for Marketing Communications at JCB International Europe. Formed in Tokyo in 1961 as Japan Credit Bureau, JCB credit cards are now used by more than 146 million card members in 23 markets around the world. We're joined online by Paul Thompson, who is Country Manager in the UK and the Netherlands for SeedTag. SeedTag is a Madrid-based ad tech company which offers advertisers and publishers an alternative to cookie-based advertising by using AI to examine the meaning and context of web pages being viewed. It recently raised $250 million in funding to help its expansion. Welcome to the podcast. Now, can we just start by getting a little bit of background on you, what your companies do, what your roles are, and how long you've been doing them? V, can I start with you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, As you alluded, I am known as V. I am uh, Vice President Marketing for JCB International Europe, which is a subsidiary of JCB Co. My role is to support our acquiring and retail partners to understand the value proposition of JCB and support their business growth objectives. I've been at JCB for about five years. And my background in financial services spans around 22 years. Andrew, tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, thank you for the invite to today's show. So I am CEO of VML R, which for those of you who don't know, is Valentine McCormick, Ligabel, Young and Rubicam. Right. Which is like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I happen to manage uh, 20 agencies across Europe, Middle East and, and Africa. We, uh, we specialise in providing creative services along the spectrum of brand experience, customer experience, even, even commerce. Paul, please introduce yourself. So I'm Paul Thompson. I'm the country manager of the UK. And actually, I've moved more into an advisory role uh, in the Netherlands. So last year, I, I looked after the country, but there's a counterpart now in, uh, in the Netherlands. And that business is scaling very nicely. I mean, at SeaTag, we are engineering our technology for a cookieless future. We believe that contextual advertising is going to fill the gap as old um, techniques or historical techniques within the digital space become obsolete 
But not only that, we also believe that creativity and the publishers that we work with directly is the full package. It's what we call the full stack of contextual advertising. So all three are increasingly um, important. And just for the uninitiated, what exactly is contextual advertising? Contextual advertising is basically computers reading content, images, objects at scale, but in exactly the same way the human brain would interpret that content. Effectively, we've built machine learning models, uh, linguistic models, and deep links into, into the content that replicates and mimics exactly how a human would consume that content. And therefore, it seems logical when we place an ad, it has high relevance to the content. And therefore, it performs better um, in terms of all of the metrics that our clients want, whether that's brand awareness or performance. As I said, the theme of the podcast is specifically to talk about what it's like for you to run the parts of a company that you do within a bigger global organisation and the specific challenges that come with that. Give us a, a little sense, Andrew, of how it works for you in terms of the autonomy you have and how much of the decision-making and activity of VML, YNR in EMEA is through the global organisation and how much of it is, is through your own structures and decisions. Look, I, th I think I feel quite fortunate because um, we have a management team um, that is extremely connected. So decision-making is often quite simple and easy rather than structural and procedural. So like most global organisations, you get your set of KPIs and targets at the beginning of the year that you have to achieve, and then you get some degree of flexibility on how best to go out and achieve those targets. And I, I'm quite fortunate my, my boss, the global CEO, John, John Cook, is, is really there when I need him um, to kind of bounce some ideas off, to kind of help uh, with things, but is also uh, empowering enough for me to kind of get on with it because we do have a, a business to run and our business operates at pace and speed. So we, we have found that nice balance between what you're set out to do and the encouragement to do that um, versus the, the, I would say, the more structural and procedural things of like, yes, you have to report your financials quarterly. Yes, you have to do these reviews. And we do all of that. But I think the softer side um, is where we kind of excel at, I think. Right, mm. right. And, and, and V, what would be your kind of equivalent there to how it, how it fits in? I think working for a financial services organisation, it is all about the bottom line. So yeah. exactly to what you discussed, it is understanding, uh, working towards a four-year midterm plan. And what are the objectives long-term? What are the objectives short-term? And the, the way that we're structured is probably a little bit more rigid, <laughs> if I'm modest, that there is a lot of reporting that has to happen back to our headquarters in Tokyo. So I should have mentioned that at the very beginning is we are headquartered in Tokyo. So from a global perspective, they're looking at all the regions. Because we work as a subsidiary, there are other complexities that we need to think about. And we're a very highly regulated industry. So the alignments and the reporting has to do with making sure that we're tracking to the things that we said we would, mm -hmm. utilisation of budgets, resources, etc. But when it comes to creative and my role, um, I'm really lucky. First of all, I love what I do. But secondly, there is that uh, autonomy because they trust that I know what to do. So when it comes to that kind of flexibility and sort of thinking differently, we have that in the organisation. And that is... I think something that is 
just recently happened with JCB is they're starting to really think about that globalization of the brand. And, you know, we can't do what we've always done and expect a different result. It's thinking about things differently now. But then just sticking with creative work for a second then. So are you able to get creative work out the door and seen by the consumers without referring to Japan? They trust you to stick with guidelines or do you have to get everything approved? I think what's really interesting, and I've said this to our creative agency recently, is have courage and the conviction that you know what your role is. And the the role that we have internally is to make sure that we do align, first of all, with all of our stakeholders in Europe, making sure that what we are creating is going to be applicable across six, ten different markets, whether it's in English, in uh, German, etc. It's a completely different strategy to Tokyo. Right. We are a B2B to C um, driven organization, mainly uh, focusing on our acquiring and retail partners. They're focusing on card members. They've got 146 million of them. The The pace of uh, getting that card member is the risk assessment is done in 24 hours. Right. Our contracts are done over two years. So when it comes to creative, it is alignment internally with our stakeholders and then explaining to Tokyo why we're doing what we do. Generally, the consensus isn't around the actual image. It's what we're saying. Right. So are we over-promising? Can we deliver what we said? Does it make sense? And for the uninitiated, you're talking about acquiring and retail. So it's, 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 it's a B2B So Yeah, message. let me explain a little yeah. bit and set the context there. An acquirer in our business is someone who is typically a bank. So... Barclays, um, National Bank of Greece, it could be someone in Cyprus, it could be someone in Switzerland. And what we do is we work with them to enable that payment to happen. So we are the middleman. We enable those payments to happen. So when a card member is either purchasing something in a bricks and mortar uh, store or online, we enable that seamless, secure payment to happen right. with the retailer. Got it, got it, yeah. And, and Andrew, you know, keeping with that whole kind of... Um you know the creative work theme obviously you're a you're an agency and providing the creative work whereas v is more on the client side yeah. but with your your team and your kind of creative solutions is there an element of or how much nowadays is there an element of producing global themed work or is there a, an emphasis on you know local by local market work where there are different idioms different cultures different language nuances some things would work brilliantly in in britain for example would just go over the heads of a other parts of Europe, let alone the rest of the world? I think it really depends on the client and their objectives, you see. So I think, you know, in broad strokes, we have a portfolio of clients that spans everything from corporate business to business all the way down to local clients like Think that you managed, uh, that you mentioned earlier. So I, I think for us, if I was to... We do all things, you know. So we have some business-to-business -business clients that are more global in nature because of the audience is more alike across country than it is different. So therefore, we do things that are, as V would probably understand, the B2B audience is more alike across countries than different yeah. versus um, if you're highly local or selling uh, yogurt or a yogurt, as you would say <laughs> here, um, that's highly tailored because food is consumption. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in some countries, yogurt is considered a dessert. Some countries eat it for breakfast. So you have to be local by, by default. So our job is really to kind of have real deep 
understanding of cultural truths and consumer truths at a local level, and then to make a strategic choice based on that audience when we should be consistent or when we should be different, ultimately, to help drive clients' businesses for growth. So, Paul, listening to that, what's your take on the points that have been made there? It's all about trust. So I am trusted to deliver and build the team and structure the team and in, in, in a completely autonomous way. Not saying that I don't have a huge amount of support. Now, there's a massive amount of choreographed support from the central team, the technology team, the creative team, the data and insights team in Madrid, the finance team in Madrid. But, but I, I, I can pretty much, I'm allowed to get on and do everything um, that I want to do to, to build the UK business. Now, of course, I have targets, as every salesperson has, and of course those targets are discussed and analysed. But I think one of the essential things, and certainly the things that I feel um, works very well at CTAG, is there's not a requirement for over-reporting. There is a very clear vision, there's a very clear strategy that comes from the central team that we do talk about every month in our all hands. So Albert Nito and uh, Jorge Porteous are the, are the two founders. The things that I tend to talk more to the founders about and the things that they care passionately about are things like culture. So when I get reviewed, and of course I get reviewed on a quarterly basis, the numbers speak for themselves, but as in any organization, the numbers are only one way of looking at the business. There's obviously the narrative and there's the feedback from the staff. So I'm here to mentor and teach the staff, and equally that's how I am viewed. Are we replicating the right culture? Are we delivering um, you know, career progression for the staff? Are we producing a work-life balance? Um, those, those are the things that we talk about. What is missing from... Um, the team, what do we need to, to put in front of them in order to support them? So a lot of those conversations are the ones that I have, less about how I deliver the numbers. But can you give us an example where their expectations from being a mature business in Madrid might differ to what you're able to achieve as a less mature business in, um, in, in the UK? Because, the, the, you know, assuming there must be some, some differences. There is a huge, huge difference, you know, it's, it, when you look at a very established business, it's, and, and, the, and the Spanish business is very established, it's number one in, the, in, in their market, that is about optimising the relationships. Our journey is very much at the beginning, um, and our journey is very much about so phase one is establishing that coverage piece, building the culture and aligning that to, um, to the Spanish business and, and actually the global business. And then stage two is about building out those partnerships with agencies, increasing the depth of coverage that we have, proving our value time and time again. And equally on the publishing side in the UK, we are um, still developing that side of the business, still developing that market, working with more publishers, but proving our worth. We are uh, a fast-growing business. With a fast-growing business, um, of course, you're doing a lot of things. You're building the culture, you're hiring the team, you're asking for products. Um, the UK is a, is a very big digital market. It's also a very sophisticated market. We have a foot in the European camp. But as you know, we also have a foot in the US camp because typically a lot of the trends that actually are very accelerated in the US, particularly in the digital space around things like attention, are transferred to the UK almost immediately before they're disseminated across Europe. Um, but that window, that window is definitely smaller now. Right, okay, now I see that. Um... And on the sort of working culture, uh, and this is probably 
top of a lot of people's mind now with kind of work, work from home, um, which obviously in, in the UK-based audience is a, a big topic of interest and the hybrid working and so on. Andrew, do, does your organisation look for a global policy on that? I mean, for example, Apple have made some global pronouncements about what they expect their staff to do or is it up for each um, regional boss like yourself to say this is the percentage we expect people in the office i, I think for, for, for us we kind of we are a people business like the largest part of our cost base is people and uh, we collaborate by nature to develop things for clients so the interactions are really important. So, so we don't necessarily have uh, a mandate or a, or a dictate, but we constantly are talking about what's that right balance. And I think where we're ending up is that there are more days, that, more collaboration days in the office than not, because it require it's it's just an easier, more creative way to spark ideas. So. So, like, for example, you know, I just was in the London office yesterday. We were at capacity. Like, there was, like, you know, we, we have reimagined the office space in London to be a little more Soho House-esque, if you will, with more collaboration areas and less kind of fixed um, places, and we were at capacity there. And I think it varies to degree by city and by uh, country, depending on commute times depending on many different factors so we kind of like to empower local management to find that balance um, but I think increasingly we're really leaning into kind of making that 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 leap back into the right kind of creative collaboration space for our culture to continue to thrive. But getting to sort of a slightly the nitty-gritty of it do you have any instances where you're working globally and maybe the London team are in the office and uh, a team in another market or another region not, and there's any sort of chat between colleagues saying, oh, how come you guys have got to come in and we haven't, or, or vice versa? Is, it, is that not, a, not an issue? It's, it's not an issue because ultimately, locally, they've kind of made that collective uh, decision. So it's okay. We're kind of used to working cross borders anyway. So, right. so for me, you know, lockdown didn't really change my life because all, all the markets were never in the same place anyway. So you're always on, on, the, on the phone. I, I do think locally it can become an issue in, in a country if some people are in and some people are not and some people have... An, an unstated expectation of people should be in. So we like to communicate often to our employees. And I think as we're starting to see, you know, the rearview mirror of, of, of the pandemic, uh, for me, like more days in the office is where we're going to get to than not. And then having some deep work days offsite is okay. But I think more days in the office is where we're going to get to. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. Paul, what's your take on that? What are the differences between hybrid working practices between Spain and the UK that you're seeing, for example? Um, actually, I mean, it's, it's very similar. I mean, it's a young company. Um, there's a lot of young people in, in, in the business, both in Spain and, and, and in fact, every part of the business. Um, and they, they all want to come together. And, and it's one of the things that I've noticed. I know people were talking about uh, hybrid working, but the majority of days will be spelt, spent in an office collaborating with your colleagues. In Spain, the office is 
there's about 150 people. It's a big office. It's very representative of the, of the culture. Albert and Jorge have invested a lot of money into creating an environment that's inspirational and is a work environment that, 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 that the team in Spain want to go to. I spend a lot of my time on Zoom talking to the team in Spain. I've created an environment that people want to come to. So some of the junior people that, that joined at the beginning of the year, one of the things that they were talking about in the interview process is, do you have an office? Can we come to the office? How often are you in the office? And what I've noticed and what we're, we're addressing is actually a lot of those people were very talented, but it, they've accelerated their learning by spending time in the office. And, and equally, I've accelerated my learning uh, in time in the, in the office. So we're moving back to more days in the office than not. Of course, we're a sales company and that means we're out with clients. So we are, you know, we're moving back to being a normal working week for us. And V, you, you mentioned obviously you've got you've got the whole you know it's a Japan-owned company. So yeah. let's you know the cultures are pretty different between Japan and Europe in some ways. So how do you navigate things that your team might take for granted locally here in London with what uh, the Japanese office or bosses might sort of think about what you're doing there? I think what I was pleasantly surprised about because obviously when you start working for a new company you have an expectation of the culture when the pandemic hit it was human first you know we're going into uh, a new situation that nobody is aware of we were asked not to work beyond certain hours because mental health was a very big thing and what the organization decided to do is approach pretty much a blanket uh, kind of way of working which was two days in the office so we are now working hybrid two days across all markets. And why? Because there are different regulations right. in France, in Germany, in Taiwan, in China, wherever. And it just makes sense to have that kind of working culture. But um, whatever prejudices I had before coming to JCB, um, I actually think the lovely way of approaching human first was great for us. And it was, you know, I do remember the first six months of the pandemic, we'd had a little computer man saying it's 5.30 you have to log off and we're like hang on how does this work and they're like yeah no we are we don't want you working beyond certain hours and that was a, a thing for a long time and because it was the uncertainty so those kind of old uh, practices that maybe we thought about are no longer there right okay that's interesting to note that um i wanted to just talk about a little bit as i mentioned in the you know the intro and how you kind of manage your position within within the organization you know with your with your boss or your upward structure so, so sticking with you the you know who is your boss are they based in japan or are they based in in this region how much time do you spend uh dealing with them liaising with them and how much time are you just working within your own your own team and your own brief so unusually i report into the head of business planning the svp of business planning and in other organizations, the marketing team will report into a marketing person or a product or, or similar guys. JCB is structured where it's very much historically been a sales-driven organization. And that kind of business lens is kind of um, first and top of mind. So I report into to him and we have very close alignment with RMD in Europe. All of those big strategic decisions get made in Europe with consultation with Tokyo. So um, your boss is based in London. He's also? based in London. They're based both in, based, based in London. London. Right. Okay. And you know, going back to our earlier conversation, it's about consultation. It, there's no dictatorial way of doing it. It's why are you doing it? 
what's it going to deliver and what's the outcome and if you understand that journey then that process is a lot easier and I think as a as a senior leader our role is to really enable that conversation to happen and understand the different scenarios that are going to play so when you come to present you've thought about that and then they're going to say yes hopefully at the end of that conversation I've been at JCB for five years now and I can genuinely say I've never had that much friction we we generally have the sales teams on board, and I think this is a really important point to make, is bring people on that journey internally to then make sure that when you go to senior leaders, you've thought about how it's going to affect the rest of the business. From a marketing perspective, from a human resources perspective, from a compliance perspective, we are a very stringent compliant organisation. So we thought about that before we go and uh, align. But that alignment is generally very seamless. And long may it live. You've, you've <laughs> thought about it with your own team before you go to your bosses. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think this, maybe it's just the way that my mind works, but I have to think about 20 things that might happen right. and scenario plan that to make sure that if I do get asked that question, I already know the answer to it. And I think that's where the role of the agency is brilliant because they are the experts. And so when we go and ask them a really kind of probably left field question, they have to then think about that. So I'll give you an example uh, of something that we wanted to do, which is the agency came to us with a creative and they wanted to do haikus. And I was like, ha amazing. Haikus? A haiku. Haiku. What's a haiku? Sorry. A haiku is a short poem. It's a, I think it's three, four, five uh, sentences in Japanese. Right, of course. Of course, I love that idea. Does it translate into German, French, Italian, Spanish? No, it doesn't. In English, it's clear. And then I think... We then had to then scenario plan, how are we going to work out of that one? And we then came up with another idea. But it's the role of the agency is to push you, to mm. push you creatively, to push you strategically. And, and again, because we thought about that, the end work that we have then gets presented. Right. And as this is a podcast with quite a few advertising listeners, do you want to say who your agency is? Absolutely, yes. And it's, you know, it's no secret. We've, we've uh, been working with them for over a year now. So they're Transmission. So they're our lead brand agency. And um, they've been working with us on setting the frame up and repositioning who we are. Yeah, yeah, okay, thanks for that. Um, and uh, yeah, Andrew, you mentioned you, you know your boss is John Cook. Mm. Um, how many peers reports like yourself does he have? One for every region in the world, or is it just you and him? How does that kind of dynamic work? Um, so a couple, a couple of things. Uh, uh, he has. Um, Capability leads that are reports so the head of experience, the head of technology, the head of creative, right, right. and he has regional reports. He has functional reports like people team, um, uh, and financial uh, officer, marketing officer. So it's a more broader kind yeah. of leadership, yeah, you're right. leadership team. And you know we kind of have that similar kind of structure in in, in the region. And I think I just want to go back to something that V said. I want a little man on my computer to tell me <laughs> that, that, that we can to stop, stop at 5.30. Yeah. I think, you know. Make it happen. Yeah, yeah make it happen. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, but I, I think just to kind of build on what V said about management with Global. So I've had, because I've been with WPP in, in various forms and guises for 20 plus years now, I've had the benefit of working with different managers. Mm -hmm. And and I've had the the same structures and rules applied, by the way, mm -hmm. um, but how they're managed are quite different. Mm. Um, and so I've had the one the type of ones that wanted the monthly 
financial reports and actuals and top line, bottom line, and, and so on and so forth. And I also now fortunate enough to have a boss that understands that I need to do that, but also helps me talk, talk about what is the next evolution of the business, how are we helping our clients grow their business, what are the biggest client challenges that he can or the team can help with. So the, com- so the conversation is actually much more empowering because everybody knows you have to do the more rational things, but how are we helping our clients really grow their business? And, and I think the conversations are more interesting, more fruitful, and, and our clients are seeing the benefit of, of those. And, and that translates down, actually. A level of trust exists. Um, you mentioned it earlier. I've been fortunate enough. I think I know John for the better part of like 17 years or so. So, um, and, and so here there's a level of trust there, which is also very empowering to understand mm. or very humbling when you can go, I, I really need you on this one, <laughs> you know. So I, I don't necessarily see it as like a reporting piece. It's more of a connected kind of Absolutely. community that we have connected kind of goals and outcomes that we're trying to, to solve. You make it sound all very, very rosy and very collegiate. I mean, there must have been a few instances where you want to do something uh, in your region which either pushes against one of the functional leads or one of the capability leads, and uh, there has to be a bit of um, yeah, a bit the, of debate the, on that. There's, there's always choices that we have to make in in business. The, the and there's always discussion. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Um, but we have a clear kind of vision on it. And if it's in service of the vision, quite often um, the answer is yes. We also have been quite fortunate that, you know, over the last, since 2018, we've seen like decent growth. So mm. growth enables more easier conversations rather than the reverse where you can kind of get into those frictions. There are tough decisions that we make all the time. You know, we've integrated and merged, you know, companies over the last, as you as you probably would have read, but we had to make some tough leadership decisions, like who's going to be the key leadership in a certain market. But we do it jointly and ultimately, you know, we have to make those judgment calls and, and move on. Um, Sometimes, like I said, we're constantly talking. So, like, for us, it's like the more you talk, the less it feels like, oh, I lost that battle or I won mm-hmm. that battle, but you kind of have talked it out. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really point. key point is that continual conversation. Mm. Is Nothing should be a surprise, really, because if it is, that means you've not been having those conversations with people. Yeah. No, I do see that, and obviously every organisation is different, but it's nice to say let's keep talking and uh, things are always being discussed but obviously that is occupying hours in your busy day that you might in another way say well look that's taken us red i'm going to just work with my teams on improving the work or improving improving the sales so i mean every every half day of the week spent talking with your peers is a half day not motivating people who work for you so isn't that a bit of a challenge on time or don't you see it that way I think one of the things that I've learned is disseminate that information back. So if it's a key conversation that you need to have, then have it. If it is, you know, if some of those conversations aligning with some of those kind of colleagues in other markets really aren't serving its purpose and don't have them as much. But I think you learn over time, you know, what is going to serve that purpose. But what I've learned is you've got to communicate down as much as you've got to communicate up and, you know, People buy the Kool-Aid that you're trying to drive. And if you've all got that common goal, but you approach it differently, you understand where you're coming from. I think that's, you know, one of the things that is our responsibility to do. Yeah, and I I would say, like, 
it doesn't have to be structured meetings, right? Like in today's communication landscape, you know, like you know, I, I talk communication, it's a WhatsApp. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I'm doing this. So, yeah, great. Or I need you on this thing. It's You know, like I think because it's fluid and you have that relationship, you can kind of have micro moments, you know, not necessarily quarterly business reviews and things because – Quarterly business reviews are not a surprise. They're review looking, you know. <laughs> so, so like what you want is kind of help with the forward looking things. And that's, I think, where we rally around. And, and you've got to make a judgment call also on yourself when you get given a degree of autonomy. Like, okay, that's you have responsibility with that autonomy to be able to kind of drive some decision making and achieve what you want to do, right? So you don't want to also run up all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And just in terms of people, I should have asked you, um, Andrew, how many people in, in your part of the organisation, because obviously WPP is massive, but in your part? Yeah, um, di- directly in Europe, Middle East and Africa, I think there's, there's 4,500 uh, right. people. Yeah. Okay. And I do want to just unpack the WPP point a bit, because obviously that's a huge sort of power name, uh, you know, in, among the in, in the advertising marketing industry, but also in... The, the, the sort of um, stock exchange facing mm. world as well. Um, to what extent do you feel you're kind of playing a part in that brand, or are you just does your horizon kind of go to VML, YNR, and WP will, WPP sort of takes care of itself? Well, um, actually, they're, they're very interlinked. Um, and I would say, under Mark Reed's uh, leadership, in fact, we just finished a two day leadership conference for. Uh, with all of the WPP leaders uh, around the world. And what's clear is that WPP has certain values that we all have to have. Um, Open, optimistic, extraordinary. They're kind of values that are imbued into all of the agency brands. Um, And, you know, we kind of collaborate across depending on what we need to deliver whether it's with the media agency to deliver media programs or whether it's through a design agency in Lander and Fitch to deliver some, we're quite used to collaborating because we understand what we're good at as an agency network uh, and what we understand where we need to kind of partner more broadly within that. And, and the systems over the last, I would say, four or five years within WPP have drastically improved to enable that collaboration across uh, agency, cross discipline. Paul, what's your take on that? And how much time do you spend working with your founders in Spain? So I spend most of my time working with Albert. It's pretty light touch in the sense that we have a fixed meeting every fortnight where we discuss the business and what support I need. So it's very much about the support I need. It's not necessarily about direction from, from Albert or, or um, dictatorial uh, you know, set, set, set of objectives, definitely not. Where it's um, interesting now is Albert's moved to, to New York to open up the New York business, so we're, we're, we're massively growing. And I think most of the time, it's very much about the narrative around the business. So, so I'm not talking about the numbers. I send a weekly report which covers all the numbers. And Albert's very driven. He used to work for Google, and he, and he, and he was an analyst at Google. So, so it's very much about the narrative. It's about the people. It's about the clients we're working with. It's about the performance of the product. It's about the market trends. So those are the things that, that we discuss. Now, given that everything is, I think um, one of the comments was it's very fluid communication. Yes, I can WhatsApp him, email him, call him, 
He's available to me 24-7, so I'm very, very, very supported. If there's anything I need, it's literally a WhatsApp message, and normally within the space of an hour, I'll have approval to, to do what I want to, to do, if it's actually putting um, you know, some, of the money's some of the company's money at risk. Excellent. Right. Good point, good point. It's traditional on our Dog and Bone podcast for the, uh, the guests we have here to um, share with us um, their most embarrassing business moment. It's a little bit of light humour that we do. Not looking for, you know, my first day, age 21, I, I, I left the projector on too long or something like that, you know, <laughs> or, you know, got the slides the wrong way around. Something perhaps a bit more recent. Start with you, V. In Japan, there's a tradition that is known as omiyagi where you either bring your guest a gift or they will bring you a gift of memento. And uh, four years ago, five years ago, when I started at JCB, our then chief operating officer came into the office on the 10th of December. And I bought two advent calendars for the office. One was Where's Wally and the other one I think was Peppa Pig. And we had a meeting, an alignment meeting, and I went in with the two advent calendars, which obviously had 10 chocolates missing. And I asked our COO if he would like a chocolate. And he then took both of those calendars away. And I tried to explain that, you know, you have the chocolate and then the next person the next day um, kind of... So 10 had gone already. 10 had gone, so it was open number 11 or whatever it was. And there was, I think, a massive cultural fail then because he then took these chocolates and I thought, oh my God, he's now going to think I've given him a present that I've now eaten. (laughs) And I just, I've always remembered that thinking, I must be clearer in my delivery of the next time I offer a advent calendar chocolate. I don't know what the Japan equivalent of an advent calendar is. They don't have it. No. Interestingly enough, and just anecdotally, a lot of Japanese people go to KFC on Christmas Day. It's their tradition. So completely different to what we would do. For a sort of turkey nugget bucket. Yeah, basically. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Andrew, I know you've learned a hell of a lot in your career, but there must have been one or two moments that were more learning experiences than others, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I, there's always one, and it is a little dated, and I know that wasn't the brief, but I remember it was I was, it was in New York at the time, and we had prepped um, a new business meeting. And so we were working quite late and, and things like this on this new business meeting, as you probably would appreciate most agencies do. Be. And the target audience was college students. So we had the idea that we would transform our conference room centers into college dorm rooms to kind of give the clients a sense of feeling of what it was like to feel and be part of the target audience. So, right. It was like great, so that meant some construction, some things like that. We were kind of really into this. Um, so I don't know, I left around midnight, got back early in the morning at 6 a.m. and I was kind of going through the things. And I was standing in the, <clears throat> in the larger conference room and I hear this creaking. It started creaking and I'm like, oh my God, the wall that we, the dummy wall that we put up was coming down. <laughs> And so I was, you know, a, a, you know, a little bit gives you an insight into my personality. I was the first one there, and I'm holding the wall <laughs> up there. And now the meeting is starting at 9 a.m. It's about 6. And so I must have held that wall up for about an hour and a half. My, and I would keep going like this and kept going like this until the, the rest of the support team came up and we were nailing down the wall there. Oh. And, I, of course, I also was doing this in a suit and tie, which is not necessarily the best thing, right before a key presentation. So you could imagine 
feeling a little unnerved in the yeah. beginning of that presentation. Um, Did the client ever hear about the story that had gone on to keep the wall uh, in place before they came in? They heard it after the presentation. <laughs> not, not it reminds before. me of a little, what's the story of the boy who put, keeps his finger in the, in, the, in the dike to stop the water? Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> that, that's a uh, legend, exactly. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, gosh. You must have not only been a bit embarrassing, but I assume you were kind of applauded by your colleagues for your... Uh... I think we were so nervous because in the, in the run-up into a big new business pitch, it's like I think we weren't really... No one really... Like at that point, it was all... We were quite... It was almost like an emotional relief yeah. than, than, than applause, I would say. <laughs> but, Thank you. But, yeah, anyway, it was, it was, uh, it was certainly a, a moment that stays with me for sure. Thank you both for sharing that with us and uh, for joining us on the Dog and Bone podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog. Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.